tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, episode 47. Well, you guys, it is November 2020, and we are still in the middle of this wild season, this global pandemic. Depending on where you live in the United States or even around the world, you may be back in quarantine. And oh, can I just say I'm sorry? I know this is such a hard time because it really affects the way that we relate to each other and the way we connect. But that's exactly why I'm really excited about this conversation that I have today with Karen Eman. She is a multi-book author, an incredible woman who loves people and loves Jesus. And today, she's going to offer practical ways that we can reach out and connect with each other, even if we have to social distance. And with the holidays just around the corner, I I really, really believe she's going to give us some practical tools that we can begin to use. Well, I'm so happy to have Karen Eman with me today. She's a New York Times bestselling author, speaker with Proverbs 31 Ministries. She writes for Encouragement Today and has an online devotional that reaches over 4 million women daily. She's authored 15 books, and I'm really excited to talk about your newest book, Karen, Reach Out, Gather In. Can you kind of tell us what brought you to this book and what's what's the heart behind it? Sure, and thanks so much for having me. It's it's great to be with you today. Well, I grew up in a home where I had a mom who was just so giving and so loving, but had a very different personality than me. She's pretty quiet and shy, and you know, I'm one of these people that's at the party with a lampshade on my head, and I am <laughs> <laughs> always talking. Um, and so I, I didn't have the same kind of personality that she had, but there was one aspect of her behavior that I just really wanted to emulate. And that was the fact that she had this philosophy in life that if you ever felt like things weren't going your way and your circumstances had you down, that you always needed to remember that there's somebody out there that has it worse off than you. So go find that person and make their day. And in some strange way, it makes yours as well. And I just saw her live this out. I just saw her be a very others-centered person, a very welcoming person. And as I grew up and became a Christian as a teenager, I saw that, my goodness, she got this from the Bible. You know, she was a believer. And and I, I saw that that's how the Lord calls us to live, to not be so self-focused, always thinking what's in it for me, but to be somebody who tries to reach out and and tries to look for that person and notice that person who least expects to be seen. Hmm. Wow, that's so powerful and so needed in this time. I think, I don't, maybe it's personality type, maybe it's just the time we're in, but it's just so easy to become self-focused. I don't think we mean to, but it's just like, it's easy to believe that the world revolves around us. Has it come naturally to you to be other-centered? Mm, sometimes it has. I would honestly say with others outside my family, it has. I'm, I'm pretty good at reaching out to others and putting others first and, you know, trying to uh, keep them happy or make them happy and make them feel loved. But sometimes within my four walls, it's a little more difficult. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think that we all know sometimes family brings out the worst in us. And sometimes I wonder if that's just because, you know, 
our friends and coworkers, neighbors, you know, they have a choice whether or not they want to hang around us or whether or not they're <laughs> going to like us, but our families have no choice, right? So sometimes we let our bad behavior just kind of bubble up to the surface and we vent on them because, you know, they're not going anywhere. You know, they're stuck with us, right? So I would say it comes pretty naturally with other people outside my home, but I have to work on it a little more with people inside my home. That's where I tend to be more selfish. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we're living in this world right now where, you know, I think with COVID and everything, we're not able to gather. And we've been, I wonder sometimes we were so busy beforehand that maybe we didn't have time to gather. What are you hearing from people when it comes to this idea of connecting in a deeper way and becoming others focused? I think COVID has really changed things. I know before it seems like sometimes we would grouse about, oh man, I got to go to that meeting at church or, you know, I've got to go to another soccer game, you know, even though my child rather gets in the game, he kind of rides the bench, but I've got to go and be the good mom. And we kind of groused about those in-person things. And we tended to gravitate more to our phones. You know, we get addicted to our phones and we have them always with us and in our pocket and we can let them easily divert us from the real life happening in front of our faces. But I think COVID in a weird way, at least for me and for people that I'm close to, it's kind of switched things. Now we're kind of tired of screens. We're tired of being on Zoom meetings. You know, we're tired of only getting, you know, our human interaction through the face of our phone or over a screen as we work at home or whatever. And now we're kind of craving those in-person meetings. We, we had, I'm in Michigan and um, Michigan has opened up, I think, much more slowly than a lot of the rest of the country. But we did have um, some friends over outdoors, socially distanced, had our masks, uh, came over for just a little cookout. And I remember when they left, just crying and thinking, mm-hmm. oh, what a blessing that was <laughs> to hang out with our friends and to talk to them and to see them face to face, even though it was in our backyard and we had our lawn chairs kind (laughs) of spread out from each other. But I used to take things like that for granted. And when I had another invitation to, I don't know, a high school graduation, and I'd already been to seven that year, I'm like, I don't want to go. I'm tired of people. And now I'm missing people. I'm missing people. So it's kind of flip-flopped a little bit, the the in-person interaction and the, the screen time and or the screen interaction, touching screens. I think we're spending so much time now touching screens that we miss actually touching lives. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I I really hope that maybe there will be a continued shift to, you know, we've kind of gotten caught in virtual reality that we've missed reality um, on so many levels. And so what, what is it about this act of reaching out and gathering in? Is, are you speaking mostly of hospitality? Mm, mostly, I would say, if we're going to go percentage-wise, yeah, the the message that I used to give when I was doing in-person messages and, and then what turned into the book, I would say probably two-thirds of it deals with actually opening your home, giving you doable ideas, recipes, you know, some fun tips for decorating and the biblical background from the New Testament and the Greek language of, you know, what exactly is hospitality and why are we supposed to do it? And do we have to do it? And yet then the other third of it is really just opening your heart, becoming a person mm. kind of like my mom was, who's always on the lookout for the marginalized and those who are kind of 
left out and lonely and really opening your heart to people long before you open your home. And there's a ton of ideas too for what I call hospitality on the road. I mean, you can be hospitable wherever you are. There are always places where people need to feel welcomed. They need to Mm -hmm. feel wanted, whether that's, you know, a new family that just moved into your neighborhood and you want to take them over something to welcome them to the neighborhood, or there's a new member on the parent teacher organization or a new family that's joined the travel baseball team. There are always people who are feeling a little unsure, like, am I going to be welcomed here? Am I going to be wanted? And so I don't think that we need to only think of hospitality with regards to our own four walls. I think it's so much bigger than that. It's living a life of welcome wherever Mm. you are, opening your heart. And if you can, opening your home as well. Yeah. 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 I've always seen it as just kind of that open armed welcome, you know, and we can't do that even anymore. It's so hard not to be able to hug or shake hands. And, um, but, but there is something about having that posture of welcome. Um, how I, for me, I've always just, I'm a pastor's wife. So, you know, you would think with a resume that hospitality should just come easy. And I had a mother who was amazing at hospitality, even though she worked a full-time job. Um, my memories are so full of our house, you know, not only having people over for dinner, but literally my parents opening their homes for people who needed a place to live for a while. We used to call it Gustafson's home for wayward boys and girls. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And there was just this open armed, like we knew if someone needed a place to stay, even today, even though my parents are much older, I know that if someone really needs somewhere to stay, that my parents have an extra room and would be happy to have them. And so that's been just a part of their life, which I would just imagine, you know, should have become part of my DNA, but it doesn't come as easy. Do you think that this, that hospitality and that open armed approach to life, is that a a personality type or a spiritual gift or something that we all need to cultivate? Well, I definitely think, certain personalities tend to have an easier go of it. I definitely think it is a spiritual gift. However, we're not off the hook if we don't have either the personality or we don't have the spiritual gift of hospitality because, you know, in the Bible, we are told to practice hospitality. And when you look into the Greek rendering of the word, it's written as a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, a sentence that's, you know, best translated. Now, if you decide to offer hospitality, do it this way. You know, we are all told to practice hospitality. Yeah. And so I don't think that it's something that we're exempt from. However, I think if we can learn to have the right perspective about it, it can be something that all of us can do. Because what's happened, Joanna, is that the world has tainted what we think of hospitality. We look at what the world says entertaining is, you know, which is having people over to impress them with your fancy stuff and your gourmet food and your big house and all of those things we see on HGTV. And I'm not knocking HGTV. I love love watching it. I love watching it. But we need to learn to use those decorating websites and those uh, fixer-upper shows and all that as a resource rather than try to mimic them as a lifestyle and think, that if we don't have gourmet food in a lovely redecorated house, then we can't practice hospitality. 
Entertaining, what the world calls entertaining, puts the emphasis on you in impressing others. Hospitality puts the emphasis on your guests and seeks to refresh them, not impress them hmm. when they are in your home. It's, it's about them, not about you. It's not about your stuff. It's not about your, your food. It's not about your home. It's about them and, and how they feel when, when they're with you. And the person who first reached out to me with welcome was my pastor's wife. And you know what? They lived in a very old church parsonage that hadn't been redecorated in years. She used to feed me warmed up cream chip beef over day old bread that had been made into <laughs> toast because that's what her family was having. They were eating leftovers that night. But you know what? It tasted like a gourmet feast when I was with her because I really didn't care about the food. I really didn't care mm. about the house. I cared about how I felt. And I, I wish I could quote properly who I first heard say that, you know, people will never forget how you made them feel. And yeah. that's what hospitality is. It's making them feel wanted and welcomed and really listening to them as they speak. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with your home and your food. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't think you should, you shouldn't try to make your food as tasty as possible and your home look as inviting as possible. I'm all about that, but it's not the most important thing. Yeah. I, I've always found great comfort in Peter's words where it says practice hospitality because I, I see the first word is practice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? It's just, it's not maybe our thing, something that comes naturally, but we can practice it. And I have found that as I do, it becomes easier. But I really think you you really hit on an important thing is the expectations that we put on ourselves for what it should look like. And I love Pinterest, but oh my goodness, what a boatload of expectations. Mm -hmm. And, and it's not just one, you know, one thing that you could do. What if you did that? And then you, the next time you should do this. And, and so how do we let ourselves, how do we let ourselves relax when we don't know how to do it well, or maybe our house isn't ready because I think sometimes it's more about how I come into the situation than how the people I'm, I'm in, you know, offering hospitality to. It's my expectations that I've got to deal with more than what I think their expectations are. What has really helped me is to just kind of flip the script. You know, when I'm worried about being the host and thinking, oh, you know, I don't know this family very well. And what if they don't like my cooking? And, you know, what if their kids ruin our light colored carpet because they won't take their shoes off, you know, and I worry about me, 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 me in my house. It's helpful to flip the script and think, wait a minute. Now I'm stressing about a whole bunch of things being the host in this situation. But when I'm a guest at someone else's house, what do I think is important? Like, I really mm -hmm. don't think it's important that there's super fancy food. I think it's, it's a great goal to just have simple food, but plenty of it. So you don't run out. That's the only thing that I think, you know, can <laughs> right. be embarrassing if you run out, you know, you got a family that has a bunch of teenage boys over and you've got a little tiny casserole and you, know, one of those boys could probably eat it by himself, you know, so simple food, but plenty of it. It doesn't matter to me that there's gourmet food when I'm a guest, when I'm a guest in someone's home, I don't care what their house really looks like. I mean, it's nice if it's if it's clean, you know, and you don't feel like it's a dirty home, but I don't care that it's big or new yeah. or fancy or any of that. So when I kind of just flip the script in my mind and think, what's important to me as a guest, it helps me to take away some of that that freaking out that happens when you're the host because you start to let your mind spin 
and, and let your heart stress over all these things you think are important, but really to a guest, they're not. But I, again, I think it's that we've got that wrong view in our minds of what it means to have someone over. We've got that entertaining mindset. And when mm -hmm. we think more about hospitality, that it's making them feel wanted, making them feel loved and seeking to refresh rather than, than impress, I think that helps us to just not stress out quite so much. I love that. Well, one of the neat things about your book is you've broken it down 40 days to opening your heart and home and you've got recipes and, and management, uh, home management ideas. Can you share a few things that, that might help those that are kind of struggling? They want to open their homes, but they're afraid. I think the really key is just to start small, not mm -hmm. to think, oh, the Lord is calling me through his word to offer hospitality. I'm going to host a dinner party for 16, right? Of course, in the, this day and age, you'd have to have a big room with a lot of social distance space <laughs> right. for that. But don't think about, you know, throwing a great big party in your backyard for a whole bunch of people. Start small. Just have one friend over mm -hmm. for coffee and some homemade muffins. And if you live in a part of the country where you can sit outside, it's still nice weather, you know, with this day and age of COVID, have somebody over, sit outside, visit, and just listen, just listen to them. Let them talk about whatever they want to talk about. If they're not a big talker, then you carry the conversation or, or maybe you have them over and do something together. Like maybe there's a Bible teacher who has a new Bible study out with a talk on it that you've really been meaning to watch. And you have a friend you think would enjoy it. Well, invite her over for coffee and a muffin. I like to call it mug and muffin. Just have a mug and have yeah. some muffins and have a friend over and just sit and visit with them. I do feel I'm not an introvert at all. I can do a whole hour with no topic. I mean, I can just talk, 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 talk. But I know a lot of people can't do that. So I think it's really helpful to have some sort of activity or something, mm -hmm. to, you know, to do to fill the time, whether it's you're, you know, making some care packages for, for your local women's shelter or something, something to do to pass the time, but just start small, have one person over for one very brief time. And it's just like a muscle. You exercise it. And every time you do, you get a little stronger and you can carry a little more weight. And then you can reach out and maybe have a whole family over for dinner. Don't start with the big things. Just start small. That's good. That's good. Well, and I think of that woman who feels so overwhelmed and busy, you know, sometimes it's even finding time, maybe, maybe rather than uh, taking lunch alone, you invite a coworker to have lunch with you. And you talk uh, in the book about the importance of soul sharing. So it, it goes beyond just having them in your home, but you're actually opening your heart. Can you talk about that a little more? Yeah, it's really just getting beyond, you know, the surface level kind of chit chat, you know, where you're just, hey, how are you? You know, how's it going? And we just kind of dance around and talk about small talk. Not that, that small talk's bad. I don't think small talk's bad at all. It can be an invitation into a greater conversation. But I feel like soul sharing is really caring for that deepest part of another human being, really learning to listen between the lines as they're talking. We have a phrase we use in our home called a heart drop, listening for a heart drop. And what a heart drop is, is it's when someone says something without saying it. And you, mm. you hear that heart drop because you're listening through the lines. 
So let me, let me give an example. Say you're talking with your friend and she happens to mention that her husband is having some medical tests done and he's going to find out next Thursday morning what the results are. And she doesn't say, and I'm really anxious and I'm upset and I'm afraid and I'm worried that it's going to be something serious. But you can sense by the tone of her voice, by how she's, you know, appearing as she sits there before you, you are listening between the lines and you hear that little heart drop that she's a little upset about this. She's a little, you know, apprehensive and worried. So when you leave that time with her, you listen to that heart drop, you're going to put a little note in your phone that next Thursday, you're going to reach out to her, you're going to call her and say, hey, how are things going? I know your husband was supposed to get his test results back today. Or maybe it's not even that you're listening between the lines and you sense some sadness or some apprehension in their voice, but maybe it's just that you pick up on a random piece of information and you tuck it away for a future day, for example. I have a friend who had her only child, a son, go off to college a couple falls ago. And her birthday is in April. And I had taken her out for coffee the the previous April. And she gave her high-maintenance coffee order. It's it's quite long. (laughs) But I memorized it. And I didn't know when I was going to use this bit of information. But I, I put it in my notes app in my phone when we got back to the car that April. And then that September, on the first day of school in our school district, when I knew the yellow school bus was going to be going by our house, it actually stopped right in front of her house. There was a bus stop there. I knew she was going to miss her son who she had just dropped off to college Mm -hmm. the night before. So I showed up at her front door with a drink in my hand, two drinks. And I said, Hey, I'm here. I've got some Kleenex in my pocket. If you need to cry, I'm your girl, you know, and I handed her her drink and she Mm -hmm. said, Oh, you're so sweet. What'd you bring me a mocha? And I said, no, I brought you a, and I rattled off her high maintenance <laughs> coffee drink. And she said, how did you know? Wow. How did you know? And I said, because I wrote it down, you know, it's just learning to listen mm. and to really go beyond that surface level and to, to get in to what is going on in their soul. And it's a way that we can point others to Jesus. It's not just that we do this with our yeah. Christian friends, but there's a young gal in my life who has uh, just become a Christian and been baptized at our church. And the whole journey is obviously because of the Lord, but it started when I let her in my home and I just started listening and I just started talking and I just started inviting. And she points back to that and says, you know, I was kind of not the nicest girl and I couldn't believe this religious family wanted to have me around, you know, but I tried to see with God's eyes rather than my own. And and just reach out, listen, and love, and let her eat our leftovers that were warmed up that night to, you know, which she says, it tasted like a gourmet feast. You know, it's kind of full circle what what I felt that I, mm-hmm. um, in my pastor's wife's home growing up, now I can be that person, you know, and I think of how God says in his word that, you know, he, he comforts us, and then we can in turn comfort others with the comfort we've received from the Lord. It is a full circle thing, and it all just boils down to really listening and and trying to connect soul to soul rather than just staying always on the surface. Ooh, I love that so much. I like the idea of even looking back over our life for those moments that were transformational for us and then looking for ways. Um, I know in some ways that's kind of part of my story growing up um, in a wonderful Christian home and a wonderful church, but always just feeling on the outside looking in, especially mm-hmm. in grade school. 
And, you know, the Lord's taken that and I think has used it to help me, um, at least when I'm, when I'm operating as I should, (laughs) to have eyes to see the lonely, you know, because I know what loneliness feels like. And so, um, while I'm not very good at having people in my home, I always want to have that open heart. And I love that idea of going, just going deeper. One of the things that you're challenging me with is, um, you are a noticer. You're a noticer. You're not just living life on the surface. You're actually seeing people and noticing what means is meaningful to them. And that's, that's really powerful. Uh, you talk about creating or crafting a spiritual resume. Um, how, how can we do that to bring those giftings, even maybe a little bit of our history into, into that hospitality and reaching out to others? Well, you know, when you think of the concept of a vocational ministry um, or vocational resume, you list all the things that you're good at, the jobs that you've held in the past, and maybe some of your fun interests too, but a potential employer can look that over and see if you fit for the job that uh, they have an opening for. But I really try to walk people through crafting their own spiritual resume that combines their passions, you know, what they really are passionate about, any natural talents that they have, and then also their spiritual giftings, what spiritual gifts they have. And that beautiful package that is uniquely you of your passions, Mm -hmm. your talents, and your spiritual gifts, you know, it's a part of the puzzle in the kingdom of God. God wants to use you with your whole package to reach the people that he has placed in your life. So I walk the reader through, you know, the passions that they have that they could use to serve others. You know, for example, maybe they're really skilled at painting or hanging wallpaper, like my friend Kim is. And she came over and <laughs> she lent her talents to me because I can't, I, you know, can't do any of that kind of stuff. Um, but I, in turn, can go and help her maybe with yeah. cooking. Or you explore the spiritual gifts that you have. And you make a concerted effort to not only discover those, but to use those. And I always find it's best to start with people closest to you and ask them, you know, what do you think my gifts are spiritually? What do you think my my natural talents are, my personality, how I'm wired? What do you see that I bring to the table? And so I not only have questions to walk this through in a much more in-depth way, but then in the back, there's this really pretty designed spiritual resume where you write your answers to this and then you can run it off and you can have it right there and you can trust that God is going to use that unique package that is you all tied up in a bow with your passions, your your natural talents, your spiritual giftings to reach those in your sphere of influence, those people that he has placed right in front of you. Because, you know, often when we think of ministry, Joanna, we think of the big things, you know, right. You know, we're going to go do that big thing. You're going to sign up for that mission trip, or we're going to teach that class or whatever. But I heard it once said, and I wish I could remember who said it. I was standing in my kitchen listening to the radio when my kids were all young and they're all over 20 now. So it was a while ago. But um, I once heard it said that for Jesus, real ministry wasn't the big thing he was about to go do. It was the person he found standing in front of him. Mm -hmm. So who is that for you today? Maybe it's your toddler who's asking you for more juice in their sippy cup for the seventh time that day. But you know what? That's real ministry. That's in the moment ministry, I like to call it. That person that you find in your kitchen, in the cubicle next to you, right really in close proximity to you. Maybe that is your assignment 
for today. It's not the big thing that you're going to go try to do for God. Not that you shouldn't do big things. Big things are great. But we are often in such a hurry to do the big things that we pass right by the people that God has plopped right in front of us. I so agree. I so agree. I I love how you've broken the days into different sections. And one, the second section is um, start with your family and, and then move from there. I've, I've got the wrong title, but how can we be, how can we bring this concept to our family? Yes, that's the first place I really encourage people to start. Again, not to be, you know, racing past to go show hospitality to the world, but to think of our family members that are with us, you know, right in our own household and showing them love in little ways, whether it's just stopping what we're doing and putting our phones down and looking them in the eye and listening to them when they're telling us about their day, or just picking up on those heart drops, you know, and doing little things for them. My husband early on picked up on the fact that I don't particularly like to put gas in my car. (laughs) I just don't. I don't like the smell of gasoline. I don't like going to the gas station. And my husband, you know, he and I, we have so many faults. We laugh all the time. We're not going to talk about each other's non-strengths, but we have lots of them, both of us. But we're going to, and that's what we call weaknesses is our non-strengths. But one of the things that he has that is a great strength is that he, for over three decades now that we've been married, he just always puts gas in my car. Mm -hmm. I I could probably count on two hands the number of times I've put gas in my car in the last 30 years. He knows that's important to me. He knows I don't really like doing it. And he shows love by by doing things for others. I kind of show love by my words or by giving things to others. But in, in your family, just think about what speaks love to them, you know, yeah. and, and then do it. And, and don't just tell them you love them, show them. It's easy to say, love you, hon, you know, as you're tucking your child into bed, and that's important. But how can you show them? What can you do for them? Maybe it's doing a child's chore for them on a day that you know they had a really big test and they were pretty stressed out, or that maybe they had something sad happen to them that they got left off the invite list for the list for the slumber party. And, you know, they're having kind of a bad day. Do your child's chore for them. Leave a sticky note on their, uh, their pillow or their bathroom mirror or whatever that says, Hey, I love you. I took out the trash for you. You can have the day off. I mean, just little mm-hmm. things that we can do that speak love to those within our four walls. I keep thinking of the word thoughtful. It, you mm-hmm. know, it, it really is being thoughtful noticing, getting our eyes off of ourselves and really, really looking for ways to love each other in tangible ways. Like I'm, I'm a word girl too, Karen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, and sometimes we think that words are enough and words are so important, but it's amazing what those little acts of service that are, are really shaped for that person's need, what it can do. Um, so I, I love this. How, how do you hope people will use the book? Well, I really hope that it's a big shift in perspective for them. And, you know, in our current culture, it's so easy to be self-centered. I mean, just think about it. We are just selfieing it all over the place. We've got to show <laughs> what we're eating, you know, where we're going. And not that I'm against that. I do that kind of stuff. It's fun, too. It's fun. But it's so easy to just live in this constant selfie mode, thinking, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? But I think if we can really learn to live like my mom still does at the age of 86, being on the lookout for that person who has it worse off than you, it can really help us to find 
this exciting mission in our life every day. Because you know what happens is we look at the wrong people. We look at those people who definitely have life better off than us, right? We're scrolling through social media and, you know, we happen across a Facebook post where our friend is showing that she and her husband are out to a fancy dinner and she's strategically got her upgraded new diamond ring he bought her in the picture. And we think, gee, (laughs) must be nice. Must be nice. It seems like she has a perfect marriage. And then we log off Facebook, we get on Instagram and we're scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And oh, look, the neighbor child just won student of the year at the local middle school. And about that time, your phone rings and it's the principal letting you know that uh, your son sits busted in his office for a prank that he and his friends thought was hilarious, but which the substitute teacher saw no humor in. Not that that's ever happened to anyone. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, you know, and then we think, oh, seems like she has perfectly well-behaved children. Seems, seems, seems we're coming apart at the seams because we're comparing mm-hmm. ourselves to all those people who seem to have life better than us. Quit looking at those people. Quit looking at them. And instead purposely look for those people who certainly have a harder a harder road to hoe than you do. I like to think of the concept of going and finding your old self. Here's a real simple way to start. Go find your old self. Were you once a woman going through an unwanted to d- divorce with small children in the house and you did not know how you were going to make it, but the Lord brought you through? Go find your old self. Find someone in that situation. Be her listening ear. Were you once a lonely teenager from a broken home like I was growing up? The Lord has totally used my past and in mm. that that feeling of loneliness that I had, I can almost not talk about it without crying, but that, yeah. that led me to the little local church that led me to the pastor's wife who led me to the Lord. That loneliness I felt being a teenager in a broken home, God has used that in yeah. so many ways with my children's friends who come to my house and who feel like, they belong and they're wanted and they're going through the same thing I went through. Go find your old self and minister to them. And in a way, you get this, this shift in perspective from it's all about me. What can I show the world I'm doing? Me, me, me. Look at me. Look at me. To instead telling someone else, will you look at him? Will you look mm, at the Lord yes. and what he's done? And when yeah. you have this perspective, I mean, not that my feet hit the ground every day and I think, I'm going to go serve the Lord and find somebody's <laughs> life to bless. Yeah. But I try not to think of what's in it for me today and instead be on the lookout, even at the grocery store for that woman who's struggling with the the children in her cart that are, you know, pulling stuff off the shelves and her baby's screaming and she looks frazzled and you think, oh, she needs a little pick me up. I used to be her once, you know? Slip her a $10 bill and say, go through a drive-thru and get yourself a latte on the way home, honey. Looks like you could, could, could use it and you're doing a good job. Hang in there. Hang in there. It's looking for those people instead of rolling our eyes at them and going, ugh, her kids are so unruly. They're being so loud. No. Try to see them from God's eyes. Everybody's walking through a storm or they're about to walk through a storm or they maybe just left a storm. <laughs> Who knows? But we've all got these situations of turmoil and sadness that are happening in our lives. And when we when we can learn to quit thinking about ourselves so much and try to lighten the load of another person, it really does help us to find a new perspective and to find a mission in life that's actually pretty exciting. Amen. Amen. You know, as you're telling that, giving that illustration, I'm just reminded that so many times we judge people rather than really look for ways to love people. And I wonder if that doesn't kind of boomerang back on us when it comes time to reaching out because we're 
we have a propensity to judge others. We're afraid of being judged. Mm. How much better to, rather than judge them, to look for ways to minister to them. Mm. This is so good. You've got so much practical help. I, I love it. I'm going to have to just take it home and look for all of your little tips on uh, recipes and ways to kind of keep the house in order. God, what's, what's your very best? C- come on, give it to me, Karen. What's your very best tip? Like if you had to choose one, life-changing tip. Hmm. A practical one? Yeah. I think it's something that was said to me when I was first married, and it was this, cook once, eat twice. Ah. And by that, I mean, like there's a whole section in the book of how to make these fabulous different paninis using leftovers in your house. I have like, I don't remember, five or six different ideas for taking leftovers and making paninis out of them. And so what you do is strategically you serve a Sunday supper that has some of these ingredients. And then on Monday, you've got a quick, easy, easy dinner. Cause you know, I love to cook, but I don't really want to be a slave to my kitchen all the time. So I try to, to think about that cook once, eat twice. Another example would be turning leftovers into soup. So maybe on Sunday supper, you have a roast and potatoes and mixed vegetables. Well, that can become vegetable beef barley soup on Monday, or maybe you have chicken and corn and potatoes. Well, you can make my cheesy corn chowder on Mondays. I like to think about when I'm cooking, I'm cooking once, but somehow I'm going to eat twice out of this meal. And I think that also helps when it comes to hospitality, because for some people, it's stressful enough just to try to get your house ready for the company that's coming that evening. But if you're also thinking about simultaneously cooking a meal on the day you're trying to get your house ready, we just throw in the towel, hang up the apron and say, forget it. But if we can cook something the day before that can, in a snap, be made into a leftover, like I love to make uh, chicken and vegetables become a, a homemade chicken pot pie the next day, but I can make that the night before when I'm putting my leftovers away. Then you can just take something out of the fridge, pop it in the oven and, you know, fluff up your up your house just a little bit so it looks nice and have your company over. So I think for me, the biggest one, especially kitchen-wise, is to think about cooking once but eating twice. Mm, that's so good. Well, you guys, the book is just filled with all sorts of good stuff, plus exercises just um, with each day, just to help you kind of think through things, um, look for those people that God's placed around you. I really appreciate your ministry, Karen. You you have hit the gamut on so, so many levels. We could talk about your book. Uh, is it Shut Up? Shut It Up? Keep it shut. Keep it shut. Keep it shut. Yes. <laughs> Shut, shut it up works too. Shut it up works. I definitely need that. We need to have another conversation. I would love to. I would love to. How fun. Uh, knowing when to say things and when not. Oh, you mm-hmm. God's just used you in so many ways. And so how? where can people find you and find more of your material? They can head to my website, which is KarenEman.com. And Eman is spelled E-H-M-A-N. And from there, they can find me on all my different social media platforms that I'm on where I hang out and, uh, and they can find my books there too. Awesome. Awesome. Um, well, what's one thing as we close, this is kind of a little bit from left field. Doesn't have to be about the book, just maybe something from your heart to the girls who are listening. What's one thing you would like women to know? That their unique gifting is needed 
by the Mm. Lord and by those around them. I think it's so easy to look at other people and think, I wish that I had what they had. I wish I could do what they do. And we're missing the boat and it's Satan's biggest trick to get us depressed, to get us, you know, um, looking at other people more than we're looking to the Lord and to just render us ineffective, but to just really embrace the whole package that is you, your personality, makeup, um, your current lot in life, whether you're married or you're single, you know, to quit always thinking the grass is greener on the other side, but to tend to our own grass. I actually have a brother-in-law who's a turf grass specialist. And I asked him once, you know, where's the grass greener? (laughs) And he gave me an answer I've never forgotten. He said, the grass is greenest where you constantly hydrate it, continually fertilize it, and where you are careful to pull the weeds the moment they pop up. That's mm. where the grass is the greenest. So let's quit looking at everyone else's grass and, and wishing we were like them and had their their gifts and their talents and their life, you know, lot in life. And let's just tend to our own grass and know that God is growing something beautiful right where we are. Oh. I love that. I love that. Well, as we close, would you pray for the women that are listening today? It'd be my, my pleasure. Father, thank you so much for connecting us through the airwaves here, Lord, and, and helping to knit our hearts to yours when it comes to reaching out to others, to making them feel wanted and loved, whether it's the stranger in the grocery store, the neighbor down the street, the, the fellow church member, or someone right in our own home, Lord. Help us to have a heart of hospitality that is constantly trying to point others to you and not saying, look at ourselves, look at us, but instead is saying to look at you. Do you see him, how wonderful he is? Help us to care more about making people feel special than impressing them with our life or our home or anything that we think we need to impress them with, Lord. Help us to focus more on sharing our souls and pointing others to you into your son who who died for us and offered us a, a way in heaven where we will feel welcome forever with you. It's in your son's precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us, Karen. Thank you. People need people. That's just the way God made us. But in order to really connect on a heart level, we've got to be intentional. And I'm asking God to give me the kind of eyes that Karen has, eyes that look below the surface of what I can see and really hear what that person needs and a heart that actually cares enough to take action in small, meaningful ways. You can learn more about Karen Eman and her wonderful books over at joannaweaverbooks.com forward slash zero four eight. And you'll also find a special gift thanks printable that I've made for your Thanksgiving table. All you have to do is click and there you got it. It's yours. Speaking of Thanksgiving. Wow. I just want you to know how grateful I am for you. It means so much more than I can say that you tune in and listen to these episodes and and that I get to hear from you on social media about what God's talking to you. I love the fact that we are sisters. No matter where we live in the world, we are the family of God and we can reach out and, and spur one another on toward love and good deeds and encourage one another to just press into Jesus and press close to one another so that we can live, we can love, and we can lead like our precious Jesus did. Well, have a wonderful Thanksgiving, my friend. You're going to be on the top of my gratitude list. Have a good day.